Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I think when you're hurt and things are falling apart um, and you're having to change what you thought was going to be your life, for the rest of your life, there, there are things that happen, um, well, for me anyway, inside myself. And this whole record is a transformation. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Putting the Damage On from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. I'm doing pretty well. You look well. Oh, it's good to see you again. <laughs> Likewise. It's been so long. No, it hasn't. I know. <laughs> but David... But every day is like an eternity. <laughs> without you. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sweet. Um, David is wearing a onesie, a Superman onesie. And we are not at his house. We are at my house. It's okay to show up at someone else's house in a onesie, right? I guess it... Um, you must think it is. For Christmas? Oh, yeah. It not, has nothing to do with Christmas. When I go a-wassailing, I wear my onesie. Okay. That's a tongue twister. I want to go a-wassailing in my Wonder Woman onesie. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> you know New York, you need New York. You know you need unique New York. I love it. <laughs> so we're here to talk about Putting the Damage On, mm-hmm. a song that you love. I, I do. It's not like a top 10 or anything, but I think it's a really gorgeous song. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. And well, it's not your favorite. It's not necessarily my favorite. Yeah. In fact, it's my least favorite on Boyster Paley. That's a little crazy to me, but I it's know. okay. You don't have to, you don't have to justify why? anything. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. But why? Why is that crazy to you? Um, I think it's a, a classic song. I certainly understand like any song not having a personal attachment to it or whatever, but... I think there are several other songs that I think would be a more obvious choice for least favorite. Like what? Before putting the damage on. Like what? I'm going to get in trouble no matter what I say. <laughs> really. But I could even, I would be less surprised by someone saying professional widow as least favorite. More really? so than putting, yeah. It's abrasive. It's not easy to listen to. I don't know. <laughs> it's not for everyone. <laughs> was that professional that widow? That was my professional widow cover. What part? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> That's the harpsichord at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Peanuts mix, maybe? (laughs) What I must sound like to people. I know. It's my least favorite on the album. However, it's an album of songs I adore and love and have grown up with. So I love them all. I love Putting the Damage On. I can't say that I've ever needed to hear Putting the Damage On. I can't remember a time that I'm like, that's the song I got to go to. I've had that that relationship with almost every other song on Boys for Pele. The reason I would put Agent Orange slightly above putting the damage on is just because it's fun and it's cute. It's like 
you know, I can't necessarily hate it that much. I, I don't know. Maybe they're tied. Maybe Agent Orange and Putting the Damage on are tied. Just for fun, let's see if by the end we can revisit this conversation okay. and see if okay. we can change your mind. Just for fun. And just have it like swap places. It only has to move up like one rung. Okay, fine. And switch with something else. Okay. Well, I'm willing to do that. But well, that's something like what's what's tracks what's number seventeen if you are ranking the songs? I would be Agent Orange, probably. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's see if we could just swap those. I don't know why. I feel like I need to make that a little right. project for Fine. myself. Let's do it. I'm, right. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. How have you been this week? Sick. Sick of who? Sick of what? Sick of when? Sick of life. Sick of oh, myself. Girl. Sick of not being able to wear a onesie all day. <laughs> well, it's not my fault you work in a law office. Tell me about it. You should put that in your contract. Totally. I get to work in a onesie. Onesies all the time. Well, I think we should get started. We're so close to the end of this album, though. Let's just power through. Oh, my God. We're so close to the Home end of this stretch. album. Oh, my God. I mean, technically, Twinkle is an outro. That's true. It is indented. It is indented. That's thing. true. Yeah. It is indented. She hit tab. So putting the damage on, what were you doing the first time you heard the song? When did you first hear the song, and what was your first impression? You know what? My answer is the same as it usually is, meaning I heard it, I think. I did not, I did not see the Jules Holland performance before I got the album. Aoife is shaking his head in disgust. In, no, in sadness for I you. I know. I'm sorry, I didn't have like a satellite streaming UK TV when I was 16. You didn't? No. Poor thing. Um, So definitely when I got the album and I had a feeling that it was, you know, a prospective single Mm -hmm, because it was was on on the sticker, sticker, right? And I think this was a really good gateway song for this album and one of the few that were easily digestible because it sounded more like a classic Tory song Uh, or Tory ballad. C major. Yeah, exactly why. And it's really pretty. I love the brass. We'll get into it. But I think this was a point in the album where I was finally like, oh, okay, yes. This is the Tori with whom, you know, I'm familiar that I know and love. She showed up, I guess, on Hey Jupiter mm-hmm. and Marianne. But I don't know. This song is very comforting in, in mm. the best way, I okay. think. So Now I understand why you came over in a onesie. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I wanted to be cozy and comfortable for a cozy and comfortable song. I love it. <laughs> oh, David. You continue to inspire. <laughs> I think probably the first time I heard the song was when the album came out as well. I don't think I had seen Jules Holland before. I don't think I saw I saw that Jules Holland performance until years later, actually. Mm-hmm. To me, it bring it's like a really kind of it's kind of anticlimactic. As we get towards the end of the album, I wanted more in my initial listening. So I think that it just never has stuck with me as a song. And and you mm-hmm. said it was really pretty. It's really pretty. But I don't. I never listened to Tori Amos for pretty. Mm. I like, in fact, I gravitate towards her more her uglier moments. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like the Blood Roses and the Pro Widow and things that where she's like a little more ah, abrasive. Ah, yeah, like teenage hustling. I'm sorry. Every time you make me laugh, I'm gonna start choking. <laughs> um, David's a little sick right now. Yeah, and I'm funny. Hilarious. <laughs> no, I get that. I, and again, like we'll we'll get into it a little more, especially when we like break down the the music. But interesting because okay. I think. Up until this album, Tori had very few moments that were sort of jarring with rough edges like a professional widow. Like maybe God is the only other example I can think of. So it's funny that mm-hmm. that's what you associate Tori with or what you go to Tori for because I think her catalog was so lacking in that up until no. this point. I mean, like Me and a Gun, I wouldn't call that a pretty song. I don't call Little Earthquakes a pretty song. I don't call Precious Things a pretty song. So that's what I mean. I don't mean like her uglier moments. I just mean her like raw moments, okay. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Pretty songs, if I'm thinking pretty songs, I'm thinking like China and Winter and even Tear in Your Hand or Baker Baker, even though that's soul crushing. Yeah. 
and uh, this, you know, putting the damage on fits that mold, those, right? Yeah. 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 That was never my milieu. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about our guests. All right. Isn't that exciting? Angie Dickinson. Oh, my God. Uh, I didn't. I tried to get Angie, but uh. they never responded to my email. <laughs> Fine. I, no the Black unturned. Dyke Mills Band. Remember when I thought the Black Dyke Mills Band was a band of black lesbians? Yes. Who knew? And like marching with garters on, I carrying that tubas. Was, that was your invention. Ridiculous. We've come so far and yet traveled no distance at all. <laughs> I know. Um, and let's talk about our Patreon supporters. Hit me. Since we released Voodoo, Amy Peak has upped her pledge. So thank you, Amy. We do appreciate it, you guys. And and for the continued support from everyone who continues to support us, thank you as well. And we need it because really when you look at it objectively, we're just getting started. I know. We have so far to go. I know. And we don't say that like it's a heavy burden on our shoulders. It's exciting, but maybe a little daunting. Still. Yeah, it's a little know. daunting, but they're not all going to get the like three-hour treatment. We go into every episode like this one's going to be easy. We I know. know what we want to say. We'll have a delightful little conversation and then five hours later we're crying and exhausted. You know, as we get to the end of the season, I'm thinking of things, wonderful things that have happened to us this season. I remember when we cried with Jamie Soretti. Oh, my God. We need a montage. Oh, we do. Maybe yeah. I'll put one together for the wrap-up. Yeah. Our finest, saddest moments. Or like a dewdrop in um, Boys for Pele yearbook. Oh. With an ben, oral Bentley yearbook. Helms. Have a neat summer. Bentley Helms. Oh, all these memories. We got to save this for the wrap-up, David. Verb I don't want, now. I don't want the wrap-up to feel superfluous. <laughs> but if you want a montage... I did a montage once for the last episode of Tour All Night. Um, so go to that last LA show, the final. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a montage in there. I, I'm good at doing a montage. Well, should we also take um, voice messages Yeah. for the wrap-up oh, yeah. show? With yeah. like call, well, I'm sure people do that anyway, but call with comments about this season of the show or your That's favorite great. moments from specific episodes or whatever it was. Call our hotline and leave us a message and we'll play it in the wrap-up. And that number is 323-296-9955. It's a U.S. number. If you need to dial from out of the country, you can Skype me at I-I-E-E-E-F, I-I-E-F. That's a Tori Amos reference. You can Skype me there and leave a voicemail if you can't make a U.S. call. So if you have to do it online, Skype me at I-I-E-E-E-F or call our hotline, which is our preferred method, 323-296-9955. Maybe we don't give out the number enough, but you guys can call the hotline whenever you want. You You don't have to be invited. You don't have to be invited. Call whenever. Leave us a comforting message. Um, Let's get started. Do it. All right. Here's a cover. We hope you enjoy it. This is a 16-bit cover of Putting the Damage On by Daryl Banner. Of course, we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. Thank you. 
is there anything that comes to your mind from this record that uh, that was one of those really freely flowing songs besides Marianne that you'd, you'd like to do for us right now? Um, this I started writing in Australia um, during the end of the tour, and I couldn't finish it. This is one of those ones that she just came and I had to like keep getting to know her every day a little bit more. She would come and visit me every day, but sometimes no music would come. I mean, I'd just take a walk with her. I would sit around with her. I'd see movies with her. And she forced me to see things from a different perspective. And that's how I finally understood, oh my God, that's the only way that I can write this if I start seeing him as beautiful that he's beautiful after all that happened. He's still beautiful even no matter what he does. Now that can say a lot about me or that can say a lot about him. Hi, David. Welcome back. Can I share something with you that I'm hoping isn't a psychic vision that was just downloaded to me? Yes. Because we're both sitting here, well, I'm in a onesie. I was going to say we're in our onesies, but you're not, just so everyone knows. But we are sitting here in blankets, wrapped around like shawls, sipping tea. And I just had a vision of us, however many years in the future, kind of like those two old men from the Muppets in the theater (laughs) balcony. Yeah. Like, we're going to be talking about Tori at that point in time because we still have so many songs to get through. (laughs) That's true. We will Uh, be those guys. We are already those guys. I mean, that's oddly comforting and frightening at the same time. We do a show with an actual Pele baby, so (laughs) we are those guys. Uh, Anyway, thanks for predicting our future anything else you want me to look into nope while my balls open (laughs) (laughs) putting the damage on appeared as the 17th track on boys for pele remember the days when a tory album was 17 well actually 18 songs but when that sounded like an insane magnum opus like i know 18 good lord now it's just another tori amos record i know right it's side one i know Um, not that we're complaining. No. The more music, the better. Um, we should talk a little bit about where the song has appeared. Right. It originally appeared as track 17 on Boys for Pele. We all know that. But one year later, it appeared on the Rain promo with the Twilight mix. You want to talk about that? That's kind of an obscure compilation that I guess was given out to radio with a lot of singles on it. It doesn't matter. But that's the only place that this remix, which is clearly an official remix, showed up. No subsequent releases, so it's kind of a rarity. Let's play a little of that Twilight mix now. Again, it's a a nice to have. As we've said many times, I would take any number of alternate mixes and versions of these songs as I could get my hands on. And I like it. It's kind of like the weird demo of winter Mm -hmm. with the percussion. It's like, why not? Let's throw a military march on there and see what happens. Yeah. Maybe if you had not heard the Twilight mix, you wouldn't necessarily know that the way she performs it live 
pretty much since since the beginning on Do Drop In, but certainly since then. The way she sings the Ticket High chorus, she's singing the melody from the backing vocals yeah. of the Twilight mix as opposed to the way that appears on the album. Right. And you might not necessarily know that that's pulled from this version of the song, but it is. It feels to me like it doesn't need any of that percussive stuff. And it, yeah. It's better naked, and I'm used to it naked. So when I heard that for the first time, it was very, it was very jarring as all. And I think if you listen to it closely, the drum beat doesn't quite match the tempo of her playing consistently. Like Mm. there's something just slightly off about it that's like a little displeasing to the ear. Mm -hmm. And especially after hearing George Porter Jr. talk about the recording process, I'm not surprised because he specifically says that the way Tori records, she did her piano and vocals first. Right. And then they would play along and add their parts after. Right. And he even says that, you know, her um, her tempo or mood, as he put it, would change in the middle of the song. Right. So this is like a free-flowing, authentic-in-the-moment performance, and they're trying to add a very persistent military march oh, to it, right. and that's yeah. just like not going to work. Yeah, that's a very good point, David. It's official, clearly, but it never yeah. showed up anyplace else and wasn't really promoted. Right. So it's a little oddity. Although it did climb the charts in Austria and Poland. <laughs> it did. <laughs> that's it bizarre. Was, it peaked at number 28. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Tori was on the charts. Yeah. Yes. What do, you, do you think it was like the military drum yeah. march that appealed to the Austrians? Yeah, I think so. I think Ooh. it was like, it's a soothing song. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. The Austrians are snarry people. It also appeared on Tales of a Librarian in 2003, both on the DVD as an instrumental and a reconditioned version, or a version with reconditioned vocals, actually, technically. So, yeah. We're going to play a little of it now. Um, I think reconditioned vocals just means they're boosted a little higher in the mix. Everything is a little louder. Aside from cutting about a second of silence between the opening military swell and when the vocals begin, I couldn't really spot any difference besides it's a little crisper. So we'll play back to back with the original. You decide. Glue stuck to my shoes. Does anyone know why you play with an orange right? You say you packed my things and divided one was mine. You're off to the mountain top. I say her skinny legs you shine. That was a bonus track too, right? I think so. Because, yeah, Yeah. we've talked at length about how there was no Way Down and Professional Widow Remix, which we also don't count, were the only songs from Payway on that compilation. I believe it. It appears again in 2005 on the first round of official bootlegs from her performance at Royce Hall in LA. And then it appears on four Legs and Boots. In 2007, right after appearing on a piano in 2006. It's a busy little song. Mm-hmm. Jeez. This is one of the songs that never takes a break. Never. Right? Never. Like she, it yeah. may not be a tour staple or anything, but she always plays it. Yeah. And then it appeared once more on the Boys for Pele Deluxe Remastered Edition. Yeah. 2016. <laughs> what a long little life this song has had. And it's still going. It's, it's not still over going. yet. It's not over. Yeah. I want her to play it in the next tour, 2020, every night. Seems likely. It. I mean, probably. Especially in the key of C. Major. It's probably like a good break for her. It's easy. I would think so. And I can't imagine that vocally this one is that challenging, especially if she sings the Take It High, Take it high. the way it is on the album and doesn't 
substitute the backing vocals from the Twilight mix like she does most oh, of yeah. the time because that is literally higher. She takes it higher. Hey. She does take it higher. Uh-huh. She's challenging herself. She's always challenged herself. Yeah. And that's why I love her. Should we start with some quotes? Yes. You want to start? This quote is from Music Week UK, 16th December, 1995. A track by track chat about the songs. I would like to believe that I attained a level of grace at this moment. It's an acknowledgement to everything. It's an acknowledgement to everything that happened, that went on in the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think this, you know, the next few quotes we tackle will probably add some depth and clarity to, to that statement. I feel, I feel that same way. Mm-hmm. Um, from the clip that we played earlier, that clip that we played earlier was from uh, WHFS on the, on the 11th of February, 1996, when she said that she started writing it in Australia. That brings me back to the conversation we had on the Donut Song episode where we talked about Hey Jupiter, Donut, and Damage being maybe kind of a mini trilogy on this album that's about relationships, but where she's really specifically looking at one key relationship from different moments in time. Mm. And now we're here at the end, literally, I guess, um, kind of way down the line. And she's really looking back Mm -hmm. and that she's let go of the anger and resentment, um, kind of acknowledged the role that she played in everything. And it's like all the all the bad has melted away Mm -hmm. and she's just left with the gratitude for what they had. Yeah, I really love that. And I love when she says I had to see him as beautiful in order to write the song in order to let it go in order to complete the journey. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's really meaningful as far as when a relationship ends, when you can be at peace, I think, with that person again, that's when you're healed and and you can move on. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you're still holding baggage from that person or that relationship, I think. So a meaningful quote. For sure. And I feel like another artist who was maybe following a similar narrative thread on an album would have ended things with more rage Mm -hmm. or anger Mm -hmm. or that their version of self-empowerment would involve devaluing the relationship that they had minimizing Um, yeah minimizing it or downplaying the influence that someone else had on their life or not wanting to acknowledge for lack of a better word the gifts that someone had given them i think it would be a lot more tempting to be like i'm empowered now and i found my own fire so i don't need you but that's not what's going on here at all right and i think that's a lot more real and a lot more adult and sophisticated Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting because she does say in that quote it says a lot about me or it can say a lot about him Mm -hmm. i think it does both yeah Yeah. what you just said it's a lot more sophisticated i really would like to believe that i attained a level of grace at this moment and i think that's true like it is a elegant graceful way to look at the relationship sophisticated this is one song i wish had a video that would be a great video i think yeah Yeah. it'd be a beautiful i think it's so evocative i can just picture something on like a river steamboat in New Orleans with the brass and everything. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> cool, you want to read another quote? This is from Spin Magazine, March 1996. Eric and I were inseparable, and the truth is, I don't care any less for him. We just agreed that we needed to go and be independent of each other. Sometimes I didn't know what was my thought or what was his, and that's not healthy. We painfully held hands and looked at each other and said, we have to go explore. We can't protect each other anymore. I miss him, of course. You kind of miss it when one of your arms is gone. I mean, I have a really good left hand and it plays really fast, but I do miss my right arm. I seem to be growing another one, though. And I think he needed his back so that he could play his instrument. Hmm. That's lovely. Because in the middle of you reading that, I was thinking like, gosh, what Mark must think to read these as they're starting their relationship, you know? Right. To read these quotes. But when she says, oh, I'm growing another one. 
Um, this is from B-Side Magazine. Guess what month and issue? I don't want to. I'm going to get emotional. Uh, yeah, you This were... is the second to last time we're going to be mm-hmm. reading from B-Side Magazine. Maybe the last. Who knows? May June 96. Can I read it then? That okay, being yes. the case. Okay. You deserve this. David, you deserve it. Oh my gosh. And it already doesn't disappoint because it starts with, and of course. And of course. Of course. Of course. Naturally. Or whoever. <laughs> and of course, damage speaks for itself. The song, being herself damaged, it's trying to teach myself about graciousness, and I have such a hard time with that. Damage was so essential for me to sing. It's one of the most difficult ones for me. I can look and have love and feelings for some of these people, but... She trails off. Dot, dot, dot. That's interesting. It is a, I can imagine it being a really, really difficult song to sing, and when someone's hurt you or you're hurt by your actions towards someone or whatever... When there's a breakup, at least in my experience, to look back and say that person is a worthy person and a beautiful person and to do that, it does take a lot of exploration of the self and graciousness and class, a level of which I do not have. Yeah. I'll take Tori's word for it. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to say those things about my ex. I mean, I'm sort of kidding when I say that, but sort of not. If for no other reason than I personally haven't had a relationship of this magnitude that ended. Mm. I just haven't. Lucky. Yeah. I've had relationships of several months that I, you know, was sort of brokenhearted by and saddened by, but mm. I can't say that it ruined my life or caused me to reassess everything about myself. I never said that my relationship ruined my life. No, or I, like no the I'm breakup. not saying you did. Okay. I'm just saying that this is one of the songs that I don't relate to for that reason. I just needed personally to go. I get the the idea for me is having to go on a journey to figure out WTF is going on after a breakup is what she's doing here on this album. And I've been there having to figure out who I am again because I've been so tangled up in another person. Mm. That really resonates with me. And to get to a level where you can look back and say that person is beautiful. That's hard. But of course, it speaks for itself. Here's another quote. This is from Same Same in Australia. On the 17th of November, 2009, jumping forward into the future, she says, touring is so good for me because I collect a lot of songs while I'm out there and putting the damage on was actually written while I was traveling in Australia during that time. More than that song, but I played that last night and that that's something I wanted to tell somebody. When I was playing, I was thinking somebody should know that I wrote that the birth of damage is here. Somebody should know. Somebody should know. You. You. Down front. Hank Vesey. Damage was written here. Have you heard? Tell all your friends. <laughs> I mean, I guess subsequent to this, she's found another way of doing it, which is doing like a little improv, wink, wink, before she performs a song. And it's usually like noodle, noodle, noodle on the piano. She was born here. I know. She does to do that. Mesa, Arizona. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> it's going to be subtle. We know her so well. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but that's a great, I mean, Australia is a place that I would like to go to. Matthew Taylor from Australia. That's all. Are you looking to get him to offer his spare room to you? Yeah. Okay. Or a spare flight or whatever. Who all knows? Right. Whatever. Whatever you can do. I'm like, don't waste any time hinting around. Right. <laughs> if we've learned nothing from taking the journey of this album, it's ask for what you want. Be direct. Is your room available? Right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, David. <laughs> what do you think the phrase putting the damage on means? I was thinking about this leading up to sitting down to talk about this song with you. And again, like, it seems so obvious, but I've never really thought about it. It's a very strange turn of phrase. Mm -hmm. It's not a saying. Mm -hmm. It's not a common way that you put anything. Mm -hmm. It's something that she invented, Mm -hmm. really. 
putting the damage on. Putting the damage on. No one's. You've really been putting the damage on. I've I never can heard dodge that. your razor blades and biscuits. It's not. <laughs> I. Uh, whatever. Keep going. I mean, granted, that's a much more beautiful and poetic way of saying what you want to say, what as opposed she to, to say titling that? the song "That Time You Hurted Me." Is that what it is? Putting the damage on? I think so. Okay, interesting. Like that way you devastated my, me. Yeah, And that's I kind of like the word devastated. Not that that's anywhere in the song, but I think that's kind of the co- closest equivalent for what she's trying to say here. Okay, because that's what I thought too. Putting the damage on when you're, when you're hurting me, when you're making pain. Mm-hmm. But damage isn't really pain. It can know. be painful. Destruction, devastation, that I, can I, mean I, like physically painful, emotionally. That's what I thought it meant too. For me, it's, it's weird... That it's at the end and she's still talking about when you're hurting me, you mm-hmm. look pretty. Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't it be like, you're still so pretty now that the damage is gone. Now that it's all been said and done, I can look back at you and still think you're beautiful. And that to me is more accurate because he's not hurting her anymore. Here we are, track 17. Yeah, it's almost like the devastation of saying goodbye as opposed to the devastation of like whatever crappy things we may have done to each other, I guess. Is what the damage is in this particular oh, case. Okay. I get that. And I think, too, that it's ending. The reflection looking back, the whole album is ending. That chapter is ending. The healing is ending. Pretty soon you'll just be a faded memory, almost. That's kind of sad, too. Mm-hmm. There's also something just really elegant about the way she says putting the damage on. You know, like when you put makeup on, put on your p- public persona, and it's so obvious in that quote you just read, the song herself, which is damaged, the person himself who is damaged, and being able to see that in your public persona or in your face. When you put the makeup on, when you put the damage on, and it's obvious that you are damaged, but you're still beautiful, you know? And we've said, we've used the word bittersweet in relation to Donut Song as well, but I think Donut Song is certainly more bitter mm-hmm. <laughs> than sweet. Mm-hmm. This is more of a healthy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, than Donut Song is, yeah. in my opinion. What is it? Is it the brass? Yeah, it's so warm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the brass. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was the brass or Professional Widow. <laughs> yeah, it's so warm and melancholy, but in the most like comforting way, for sure. Agreed. Yeah. Should we read some more quotes? Do it. This is from the deluxe edition liner notes from the Boys for Pele remastered edition in 2016. Asked if there's one song on the album where the meaning has changed for her in the past decades, this song is the one that Amos cites. She says, putting the damage on might have been about a relationship with a specific person, but then you realize it's a pattern in your life. You're attracted to people who are playing that out. I was really having a battle during this record with people wearing the Victims Anonymous badge. I was telling them, hey, you raised your hand for this. You're offering your neck to the vampire's teeth, and you're upset that she's not calling you back. Let's talk about that quote. That's a great quote. Who's she talking about? Who raised his hand and put his neck in the vampire's teeth and is mad that she didn't call him back? I mean, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be about one person, but that's a pattern that she's seeing that she's maybe drawn to people who aren't able to give her what she needs and they're more interested in getting involved with emotional vampires, whoever they may be. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. But if this song was written about one person and then it became, I realized there's a pattern, that means post Pele, she's meeting and needing from emotional vampires. Wouldn't that imply that? She says, over the past decades, the song has changed. It's a pattern now. Or like, I realize this is a pattern in my life. So since Pele, I've realized it's a pattern in my life and I get emotional vampires. And I'm attracted to emotional vampires. 
yeah, well, maybe she's not acting on it, but she could still find oh, herself. she's still magnetically yeah. drawn to certain people. Right. And then I when see. you get closer to them, you're like, oh, this person is reminding me of whoever. There's something very oh, similar going on here. Interesting. Yeah. I'm still attracted to emotional vampires as well. <laughs> I am. I'm attracted to bloodsuckers. You just said like two episodes ago that you had broken that pattern. I and know. it happened on this podcast. This was a terrible weekend. <laughs> That's okay, because, you know, Tori herself says, 20 years after the fact, it's still a pattern she has to deal with. Yeah, you never grow out of it officially. Um, You want to read that Vanity Fair quote from November 16th, 2016? This is something else I'm going to be really disappointed to not be able to do anymore. Mm. It's it's sad. We need a choir girl version of this Mm -hmm. with the track by track. Where are they now? From Vanity Fair, November 16th, 2016. She's an old friend. She's a good friend. I think she and I are going to go work out after I hang up with you. She's going to put me through my paces. I am never going to ask Tori to write the liner notes for any deluxe anything <laughs> Why for not? me. Because every other song, she's like, she needs to work out. She has to try really hard to keep in shape. She's an old friend, but a fat friend. I don't think that's what she means. I think she means we're going to go work out. Like, I think she means after I hang up with you, I'm going to go to the piano room and play her. Mm. Like, we're going to work out. We're going to hang I out. I don't think that's what she means. <laughs> do you think she listens to her own albums while she's working out? Uh, I do now. <laughs> and I've probably told you this story before, but when I went, this is going to sound douchey and I don't mean it that way, but when I went backstage once, she had her own CD liner notes open and like littered around the room as if she'd like just been gazing at the booklet. No, so she could remember the lyrics to the songs that she was that's playing absolute, that night. I know that's absolutely the reason why, but it still struck me as funny. <laughs> <laughs> like when she pulled out her lyrics book on that unrehearsed... Which didn't exist at the time that I'm referring to. I know. So that was like the only place where she could go that's and so like look funny. at her own lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she didn't realize there was the dent. Right. You want to start the line by line? Sure. Let's just jump in. Let's do Let's it. Let's just do it. Yeah. On your mark. Get set. Glue. to my so we start with the idea that she's stuck somewhere, that she's not moving forward. She can't take steps forward. She's just kind of stuck in this place, right? Is that how you interpret this first line? Not at all. But really? I love it. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, I love it when it's completely different. Tell me. No, I mean, that's brilliant and it makes total sense. And that's another time when I'm like, well, obviously. But sometimes I do myself or maybe all the time I do you a disservice by wanting to have this discussion and not give too much thought to the line by line ahead of time, Uh but kind of reassess the song as we talk about it. Okay. And whenever we start, I'm kind of always in like 17 year old brain of how I received the song then. And sometimes that always sticks with me. Okay. And this is one of those cases when I thought it was just maybe very literal And like maybe she was having a conversation, a pivotal conversation. And this was like a snapshot where she was like literally looking down at her shoes or they were at a restaurant and he was sitting across like fiddling with an orange rinder. So I don't know, but I never, but of course, as you were saying that, and as you started talking, I was like, oh, of course, this is what he's going to say. Like you're stuck or you feel like you're paralyzed or you can't get out of the situation. Yeah. I never thought it was her looking down at her actual shoes. Yeah. I thought it was just a metaphor. Because that's ridiculous. (laughs) But anyway. Does anyone know why you play with an orange right? How I feel about this is the you is a general you. Like she's not actually speaking to the person that she's singing about. Does anyone know why we, it could be, like we as a people, play with an orange rind, meaning kind of like beat a dead horse or there's nothing left of the fruit and yet you're still picking at the orange rind. And Beautiful. You're still, you've got that fruit peel and you're holding on to it for as long as you possibly can. 
You know what I mean? Because the idea of an orange rind is that it'll eventually like harden and like you can't do anything. Like mm-hmm. it's, you can't even make marmalade. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I don't really want to say anything else because I think you've got it. And again, well, I kind of already said what my interpretation has always been, and I won't even use that inter- the word interpretation <laughs> because there's nothing to interpret. You say you packed my things and divided one was mine. And I mean, I guess that's part of what was informing how I was reading those first few lines is that this is so literal. Uh-huh. You say you packed my things. Yeah, that I think is a snapshot of a conversation. I think maybe... In the end, when they had broken up, maybe he said, I've got your things packed. You can come get them mm-hmm. whenever you want. And divided what was hers from his. So there's that's the idea that this separation is permanent. Mm-hmm. It's There's no going back. You're off to the mountain top. And he's off to the mountaintop. He's off. He's going to ascend. With someone new. With someone new. Mm-hmm. This quote comes from the Dallas Observer, June 12th, 1996. Tori says, a lot of the anger in Pele comes from a deep sadness. It was the end of a state of being, of relating for me. I had to change my relationships with men, not just boys, but all men, even my father. Sometimes people just can't continue, and you've got to split up and take two separate paths up the mountain of love. It's letting go, and that brings a great loss and a great freedom. So that talks a little bit about the mountain. I say her skinny legs, you Do you think those skinny legs are her own legs or no. someone new's legs? I think... She kind of can't help but get a jab in at whoever the new woman in his life is. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a jab. Yeah, I mean, for it is sure. definitely a jab. Yeah. In this moment of grace, as Toya herself puts it, I know. she's like, that bitch. I know. <laughs> but she doesn't say that yeah. bitch. She's like, no, no, no. I found grace about you. I don't have to say anything good about her. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But also, like, there are worse things you can say than her skinny legs could use. That's sun. true. It doesn't sound like, have a good time. Great, right. the mountaintop. Like, her legs could use a little sun. It's right. like her skinny legs, her pale, fish belly white legs. <laughs> sickly and emaciated. Now I'm wishing for my best impression Oh, my best what do we know about Angie Dickinson? She was an actress. Yeah. And what was she best known for? Police woman. Right. I feel like Tori has specifically mentioned why she references Angie Dickinson and that it is in reference to police woman, but we don't have that quote, but I feel like it exists. So what do you think that has to do with the song, if anything? I mean, why is she specifically referencing Angie Dickinson, right? Right. I have two thoughts on it. Maybe you have thoughts on it, but my thought is that she talks about this being a graceful moment. So maybe Angie Dickinson is someone that she looks at as having grace and elegance and she's trying to be that or emulate that in this moment where he's told her that he's packed her things and he's moving out and in with this new woman. So she's trying to channel that grace or playing a policewoman, channel that strength and that power. So one or the other, I think that could have something to do with it. Mm I think she's allowing herself this jab at the woman, right? And now because she's let that jab out, she's wishing for it. What about you? I think that's I think that's primarily how I've always read this reference. I guess if you want to follow the kind of policewoman thread a little further. On the show, I guess she was always going undercover and playing different roles. Oh, um, love so, undercover. So <laughs> in this case, maybe Tori was wishing that she could either just be different or this is like one last moment of her wishing she was someone else or there was an aspect of her personality that she could have like summoned maybe to make this relationship work or maybe she's just wishing she could go undercover to sort of get a look at 
what this guy's life is going to be like now and oh, what this new relationship is going to be like. Wasn't Angie Dickinson known for having great legs? I think she was. I think she had them insured at a certain point. Oh. And she was kind of known for that. So it's kind of interesting that Tori follows up the line, the kind of jab, as we said, about the new girl having skinny legs and then Tori sort of invoking someone who is known for having great legs. Mm-hmm. It's almost self-deprecating. Like... I'm just getting a jab in about this woman not having great legs. And, oh, I guess I don't feel like I do either. So I wish I had a little more Angie Dickinson that <laughs> right. I could kind of shake around. Right. Um, well, Tori's got great legs. Tori does have great legs. She does have yeah. great legs. That's not normally something that I pay attention to. But not every time she walks out in a heel, I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like when she pops through that painting in the Raspberry Swirl video, yeah. boom. <laughs> heel on the ground, boom. Leg for days. So true. Yeah. She's got <laughs> great legs. I There's know. so many times, like in the Tallulah snapshot where she's in the carriage with the dog and the butterfly you know that picture mm-hmm. i wanted to at one point i wanted to have that tattooed on my arm she's got great legs in that she picture. does and i mean she's short so not for days maybe just day but it's a good day <laughs> for hours <laughs> for minutes legs right. for minutes but now i've got to worry because boy you still look pretty when you why does she have to worry? Why does she have to worry? I think because she still has fondness for him. And it's a tricky situation when you're broken up with someone that you truly had a life with, I think. It's a tricky situation to not fall back into it. And even though she's fairly removed from it, it's this idea of the pattern that when he's hurting her, he's still even then he still looks handsome you know and i think maybe even more simply at least in this moment it seems like he's moving on with someone else and she isn't quite yet Mm -hmm. and she's been trying to tell herself like nope we both agreed that this was for the best and this is what we both felt we needed to have happen but as i'm watching you kind of pull away i'm like oh crap i'm not as over you as i thought or i'm not so sure this is what i'm really wanting so do you think she's the kind of person who, like, cries for days? Tedious. Or is she the kind of person who just pretends you don't exist? I think she pretends you don't exist to your face and then right. cries for days in her closet. Right, right. Yeah. Like most people. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what people do, right? Yeah, I didn't that's really I realize do. there was another option. Yeah. make me scratch Just the image of her scratching on your door, like a puppy, like a dog crawling on her knees to him for affection Mm -hmm. just that image of don't make me scratch on your door Mm -hmm. i love that and again i feel like that sort of time warps us back in time a little bit to when this relationship was maybe falling apart initially Mm -hmm. and i kind of go back to whatever love triangle thing was happening that she has volunteered so we're not just gossiping here something Mm -hmm. was happening details aren't important so i feel like the next line never left you for something fleeting like a pretty shiny thing Mm -hmm. like a a banjo Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is an odd choice but sure or music basically i never left you for the music sure it was only a passing flirtation with something that caught my eye yeah but i never was really moving on from you or you always had my heart in some way i don't know agreed i agree 100 percent. from take to the sky fanzine issue 10 winter 1996 uh, and an excerpt from taking tea with a sandman TTTS meets Neil Gaiman. Neil, this is what's printed. 
Neil has said things to Tori which, unknown to him at the time, would later appear in her songs. The example he gave was when he once told her a story about how Groucho Marx had told his daughter to go out shopping. She blatantly refused, but he insisted that she should go shopping. Eventually, under protest, she conceded and headed for the stores. Some hours later, Groucho's daughter returned with a poodle and a Corvette, and he vowed never to send her shopping again. <laughs> this story stayed with Tori as it later appeared in the lyrics to Putting the Damage On. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so that brings me a little more clarity, too. Like, I stand by what I just said, but after revisiting this blurb, I almost feel like maybe this is, again, kind of going from the conversation of, let's say, Tori and Eric deciding that they needed to move on. But she maybe she was less willing to do that than he was at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, nope, like, we need to move on. We have to see other people or have different experiences. And she didn't really want to. Mm-hmm. But she was like, you made me. You kind of forced my hand. Mm-hmm. So that's like her version of bringing back a poodle and a Corvette mm. or flirting with things that weren't a good fit for her. Just because she felt she had to. I don't Sad. know. Yeah. And then to take it back to don't make me scratch on your door. Doing all of these things for his affection. Trying to make him jealous? Yeah, kind of. Because it's what he wanted, so she's got to do it. I'm still stuck on don't make me scratch on your door. That's, again, a kind of devastatingly sad, yeah. raw lyric. Yeah. And again, like it, I sort of made light of the banjo reference, but everything obviously on this album is intentional. Mm-hmm. And as we've said about any kind of guitar-like instrument, mm-hmm. Tori usually references them as a male mm-hmm. presence or figure. So that's yeah. what's happening here. And we're also in the South. Right. So maybe this is another way of saying a Southern man mm-hmm. or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. I never left you for that banjo. He who shall not be named. Possibly. I can't wait until he really can't be named anymore. Let's Choir move on. girl. Come on. My impression of my best Angie Dickinson. Again, she brings up Angie Dickinson. Mm-hmm. So the way it's written, she says, I only just turned around for a poodle and a Corvette and my impression of my best Angie Dickinson. So she turned around for her own impression. So she became someone different, maybe even. She was trying to be this particular version of herself. Mm -hmm, Possibly. Putting something else on. Put on a brave face. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or Or convince myself that I don't need you or not give you the satisfaction, Mm -hmm. maybe. But it wasn't real. Right. Kind of like the banjo wasn't real. The poodle and the Corvette weren't real. Mm -hmm. And this best impression of Angie Dickinson wasn't real either. But now I've got to You had something you wanted to say about damage, the idea of damage? Yeah, I wanted to go back to the quote we read earlier. And of course, damage speaks for itself. The song being herself damaged, Tori says. I don't want to just gloss over that. What does that mean exactly? The song being herself damaged? Yeah. Well, I don't know. But my thought on that is that the character in the song has been damaged, has mm-hmm. is broken she's putting the pieces back together in general or by this relationship or that just seems like a really weighty statement for her to make being herself damaged i don't i know she says the song but i almost feel like her thought is trailing off and she goes in a different direction like the song uh, back up a second being herself i must feel like tori is talking about herself Mm -hmm. or the character in the song Mm -hmm. not like the structure of the song no i don't think the song girl 
being yeah. damaged. I don't you think know she's I mean? talking about that. I think she's talking about like the entity within the song or the spirit in the song. Okay. Being a damaged person. Okay. Or damaged entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. And again, maybe I should save this for the live section, but I feel like there were many times on Do Drop In specifically when Tori paired this song with really sort of odd unhinged versions of this old man Mm -hmm. and for some reason this quote makes me think of that Mm -hmm. and sort of question like why she would make that choice and what the link between those two songs were and i could really go deep down the rabbit hole with this i guess but i think on little amsterdam specifically we pulled up some old quotes that sort of allude to some kind of childhood abuse that happened right right and i feel like maybe that's like a thread of what she means by she herself damaged. And she's also talked a lot about Eric specifically. And again, we're not just like guessing here. Like she has volunteered all this information. So I think it's okay for us to talk about it, even though it feels so personal. But she has talked very, very explicitly about the ways in which Eric was the one who helped her overcome violent encounters and the way she perceived and experienced sex and all that stuff. So that's like the filter through which I read yeah. this quote, like she herself is damaged. damaged. I think we know what that means. Well, then it goes back to like identifying the pattern. You're attracted to the people who hurt you, mm-hmm. who are emotional vampires. So it is, if she is herself is already damaged, even before entering the relationship, she is just a damaged spirit. Mm-hmm. Then I see the reason for the quote 20 years later, you know, realizing that it wasn't just this experience, but it was in fact a pattern before, during, and after Eric. That's still something that I have to worry about and not forget that I don't want to be victim in this pattern. Right. I think I just want to go back to that because I think, I don't know, I just really latched onto that quote. And I, again, I think it's an example of Tori acknowledging the baggage that she brought into mm-hmm. a situation and that she's n- not in any way always about finger pointing or blaming someone else for what happened. Right. So. Take it high. It's not printed in the lyrics, right? It's not printed. It's not in the lyrics. Interesting. Take it higher. Take it high. Fascinating. I didn't remember that they were missing. Yeah. What did she say? It's the chorus of the song, really, or yeah, kind of the second movement of the chorus, I guess. Maybe like, take me out of my body. Just take me out of this experience. Like, get me some perspective. Get me some elevation because this is too painful. Mm -hmm. But I don't really think that's right. Okay. I almost think it's again kind of acknowledging the literal highs that this relationship has brought her in her life. And this is such like a gorgeous soaring moment that it's all positive, like what we had together or what we built together in our lives, even though it's ending. Mm-hmm. I think the way that she soars from the high notes into... Beautiful way of saying that she's up late still thinking about him. Mm -hmm. That like in the quiet of night when she's all alone, he still comes to mind. Mm -hmm. She can feel him in the bed beside her or she can feel him in the air around her. 
Yeah. And I think that's, we all have had those moments and it's almost like after a death, I guess, where something, you think you've moved on from something and unexpectedly the memory of something triggers feelings that you had for this person and you're suddenly like overcome by the emotion Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. just in that moment. And it's almost like you can feel their ghost passing through you. That's literally what she says. But yeah, I think that's so evocative, but also perfectly describes something that we've all experienced. Agreed. So. I do think it's kind of like a placeholder, but I think she's in that moment, you can hear her sort of transcending or ascending. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is silly, but this is what I feel when I hear this moment of the song. I feel like she's herself leaving her body and she's going above herself mm-hmm. to see this whole thing in perspective. And I'm trying not to move. It's just your ghost passing through. And she's with that ghost for one final meeting, you know, one final face to face, even this until this moment. No. And then you really feel like the ghost has left there. This is the moment where he's gone and it's done and it's resolved. Listen again. That's so beautiful to me. And, and I know I say this is my least favorite song on the album, but I'm still very fond of it. And this performance right here, this vocal performance is just one of the best on the album, just for how evocative it is. And it's really just tied to this imagery, which begins with a take it high part into now I'm quite sure. And the resolution with there's a light in your platoon. That's the first thing we hear is there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope that even after all this war and after this all this destruction, there's still, I still have hope. And now there's a light here. I think you're very tuned into this song for one that's supposedly not your favorite. I think you're really getting to the heart of these lyrics for sure. No, I totally agree. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I think where she's still acknowledging that feeling of being on opposing sides of mm-hmm. something, but literally starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, or maybe a reason for why all this happened in the first place. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. A reason for why this all happened. Mm-hmm. The idea that all this bad meant something and something good came out of it. Agreed. I've never seen a lion move like you can do. That's another pretty devastating line, I think. There's like something about our connection or just who you are as a person that resonates with me in a way that nothing else ever has. And I hope it does again. Right. Right? Beautiful. I've got a place to go. Now I've got a place to go. There's something else she's working towards or something else she's moving towards better. A new Mm -hmm. relationship or a sense of self, a greater sense of self or a complete sense of self. But whatever it is, she's moving towards now I've got a place to go. It's sort of interesting because 
who i mean who's she talking to it's almost like the person she's trying to move on from i've got a t- i've got a place to go but it's to your shit like i don't know well it's interesting because at the end of these soaring notes and i'm trying not to move it's just your ghost passing through which we can also talk about the idea that i'm trying not to move to disturb your ghost for, i don't want your ghost to leave oh for sure Right. Yeah, like I don't want to break the spell. Yeah. Not exactly. like not I'm pained by this memory, but I want it to linger. Exactly. I want it to linger. And mm-hmm. and so then with that being said, I've got a ticket to your late show. Once the healing is done, let's hope that we can be friends. I've got a ticket to your late show. I'll always be there to support you. Mm-hmm. I'll always be there. I'll always have your back no matter what's happened between us. It seems to me like that might be a way of saying that. I love that. I think a lot of the figures on this album and the people that Tori have been involved with are musicians. Mm -hmm. So again, it's kind of like almost a literal thing to, to aim for. Like you said, like, I hope one day, I hope we can be friends and that um, when we see each other, we can sort of hug and wish each other the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's actually true. I've definitely seen Eric Ross at one of Tori's late shows. Oh, you have? So, yeah. <laughs> Do you think he only goes to the late shows? No, it actually wasn't a late show. Oh. Because it was on the night of Hunter's tour, but oh. he was sitting right in front of me. Really? Yes. Did you talk to him? No. Did you ask him to be on the show? The show did not exist. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> it existed in my brain. I think I do. It existed in my brain. Now I've got to because even still. It's interesting that in the lyrics she prints, and now I'm worrying because even yeah. still you sure pretty. But I definitely that's not how she don't hear it. that. That's not yeah. So it's just interesting, you know. It came back twenty times, and twenty times I circled it. At certain points, I have to think that she looks at her lyrics separately as poetry, mm-hmm. and maybe she just prefers them to be sort of archived in a certain way. In a certain way that wouldn't necessarily like fit the phrasing of the song, but she just likes the way they scan better on their own as lyrics. Maybe so. Maybe her publisher didn't send her a proof. Is that mm-hmm. why she left out Give Me Peace, Love, and a Hard Cock from being printed as well? She kept sending it back, and Edison wouldn't print They're it. They're like, cock? I don't think so. She keeps writing it in the margin. Don't forget these <laughs> lyrics, Dad. You just omitted it entirely. Bold, underlined three times. Can you imagine if that's Corey the real Allen. case? That might be the real case. Like, I'm not going to let you go down in history with this as a lyric of yours. Oh, my God. Tori Ellen. Let's just say that that's true. Okay, done. That's that's the truth. You guys, newly discovered truth. What's your favorite lyrical moment? I'm trying not to move. It's just your ghost Mm, passing through. Beautiful, right? Love it. Yeah, that's a beautiful lyric. That might be like one of the most beautiful lyrics on the entire record Mm. or the most beautiful images. Um, I think my favorite lyrical moment is also... I'm trying not to move. It's just your ghost passing through. But I also really like, don't make me scratch on your door. Oh, yeah. That's great, too. Just that line. Like, just give it to me. Give me the love. I feel that line. I also feel the first line, glue stuck to my shoe. I feel the whole song. I love this song. I, I win? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll okay. see. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe you do. Maybe right. I do. Who knows? This is one of the rare moments in her body of work, especially up until this point, when she allows another instrument, or in this case, a grouping of instruments, to sort of take the limelight from the piano or take precedence, because in that sort of extended instrumental intro, there is piano under the brass, but it's so subtle, you can barely tell. And I feel like if she had written and recorded the song at a different point in her career, she would have swapped the mixing.
The fact that the song is in C major, which is like the most pleasant, warm, safe key, right? But the structure of the song feels broken. It's hard to pick out the melody. It's hard to find where the song is going structurally. She's dealing a lot with the negative space. It feels to me like it should be in a minor key because of its devastation, but it's, it's a sad song in a major key. What's your favorite musical moment? Take it high. Take it high. And the way it soars. Like songwriting wise, this is as traditional a ballad as one could ever hope to have from Tori. I want to say it's so great to have an instrumental from Tori and to hear, you know, we all know how this album was recorded in the church and her in the box to separate the vocals, but the vocals aren't entirely separated and hearing them in the distance is very haunting and moving. that's one of the greatest silences ever written, certainly on this album. My favorite musical moment is for sure but I've got a place to go. I've got a ticket to your late show. Elijah. And <laughs> when I listen to the song, I usually always listen to that part at least three times. God, that gives me goosebumps. I love it. The brass arrangement just really does it for me. And then that moment in particular, like that is such like an emotional moment, that swelling 
up around I've Got a Ticket to Your Late Show. And this is the only, that only exists on the album version. I'm not counting like the one time she did it on Jules Holland. But I think that absolutely makes the song and that something is missing when that isn't there. Musically, stellar. Good work, Tori. You pass songwriting class. You can sub. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby. Putting the damage on is the most mature song on this album, and I think it always really shines through. And the placement is just so poignant in the rest of the album. The exploration of the idea, or rather reality, you have to face that even when you hate something and you've had a negative experience with something and as much as it's easier to move on by letting your current feelings characterize your perception of that person or event that that event exists outside of your current feelings and existed to you differently at different times and it takes a large amount of maturity grace and i think a lack of ego in order to acknowledge that and acknowledge that there's maybe beauty in something that now causes you frustration. And out of all the things we talk about or look at in the album, that one's really complex and hyper-personal in a way that makes this song very impactful, I think, any time that I give it a listen. I love the repetition of but now throughout the song that gives it the feeling of urgency of that you're expounding and rattling on, but now it's time to move on and acknowledge things and even that we keep adding we know that it has to end now posted to really deep thoughts february 1st 1996 by mary hello fellow fairies I've been a lurker for a while now. I'm really kind of shy about posting, but the release of Boys for Pele has brought me out of the shadows. I just want to say that I always look forward to reading really deep thoughts. I've never come across so many people that dig the same things I do. Tori, Sandman, Tori, Nine Inch Nails, Tori. Anyway, like anyone else here, I have been submersing myself in Boys for Pele. It's hard for me to pick a favorite song, but the lyrics to Professional Widow always stay in my head. You have to be careful when you're in the office and you want to bust out singing, Starfucker! It wouldn't go over too well with the boss. I also really enjoy putting the damage on. Would that be shortened to PTDO? Acronyms can get so confusing. I thought that I was the only girl that called boys pretty. I don't like using the word handsome. It's something you would use to describe Fabio or Jean-Claude Van Damme. Blech. But I guess I just fall for pretty boys. Maybe that's why I've had some exes turn out to be gay. I can't help it. I just love androgynous men. Well, I think that this is Tori's most amazing album to date, even though the lyrics can be too vague at times. And I can't wait to get home to listen to it again. I hope you all have a happy day. Gumdrops and lollipops. Mary. You think of me, you never shut up. 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 Listen to our new show, five days a week, starting January 2019.
because we never shut up. David, David, David. We've made it to the live section. Mm -hmm. This is going to be interesting. Why? Can I make a controversial statement? Always. I don't like this song live. Why did you whisper it? I didn't want it to hear me. She's so fragile. She herself being damaged. Oh, you don't like the song live, David? I think it's one of those songs that just can never match the studio recording. Interesting. Is it the fact that it's in a major key? I don't know. (laughs) That's not really a factor. But I think the brass really makes it dynamic. And that when it's missing that, it just seems kind of plodding. Even though there is that shift of the bridge and everything, just something is missing. And it seems like even her performance, she's kind of checked out most really? of the time and like going through the motions. I don't agree with that. I do. <laughs> I agree with my own statement. Of course. I would hope that you would. <laughs> well, she's played the song a total of 200 boring times. God, each one more boring than the last. <laughs> David. Um, she started playing this song on the promo circuit, as we know, in 95, on the very first performance of Boys for Paley songs on Jules Holland. She did Mr. Zebra and Putting the Damage On. And let's play a little of that, shall we? Do it. When you're putting the damage course she did this song on 120 minutes which now that i'm thinking about it david may be the actual first time i ever heard the song here's 120 minutes Gorgeous. In January, she went on to do the song on Two Meter Sessies. Let's play that. I'm trying not to move. It's just your ghost passing through. It's just your ghost passing through. And now I'm quite sure there's a I never seen a light move like 
heels can do to me So I know I'm wishing for my best impression Then she went on in February, February 2nd, 1996, a couple, like a week or so after the album was released, she did it live on Regis. Let's play that one. I think that totally made sense, given the audience for that show. That was definitely the safest choice. Fair. I mean, there was nothing else she was going to play. Blood Roses. Yeah. Can you imagine? Come on, come on, come on. Yeah. (laughs) That's such, like, the musical performances on that show are so sad. Like, why do they even bother? Mm -hmm. I think they're, like, literally 90 seconds long. Mm -hmm. Two minutes at the most. Right. It's barely the song. And I remember Reej, haunting, haunting Tory, boys for Peely, haunting, <laughs> haunting, haunting Tory, minister's daughter. Shall we get into the tours? Let's do it. Do drop in. 1996 on the Do Drop In tour, she played this song 69 times out of 187 shows. So a little more than a third. Do you want to hear the debut? Was it the first show? Yes. Don't have it. Where in the show did she play this song? After Cornflake Girl. Really? I don't know. You don't know. I feel like at the beginning of the tour, she was moving things around a little bit before she decided on Me and a Gun as the main set closer. And a couple times she did Marianne and maybe Damage. She did Me and a Gun followed by Damage as a closer. I could be making that up. Who knows? If only there was a way we could check. She did Putting the Damage on after Not the Red Baron at that first show. So, and that fall, it fell like in between, like towards the end. So it went Beauty Queen Horses, Crucify, Take to the Sky, Bells for Her, Little Amsterdam, Space Dog, Cornflake Girl, Donut Song, Mr. Zebra, Precious Things, Leather, Not the Red Baron, Putting the Damage on, Caudalite Sneeze, Me and a Gun, and Marianne. It's like a really sad last third of that show. You got Not the Red Baron, Putting the Damage on, Caudalite Sneeze, Me and a Gun, and Marianne. Bet there wasn't a dry eye in the house. A dry seat in the house. I love those encores, though. Yeah, the encores for that show were Past the Mission, Winter, Honey, and Hey Jupiter mm-hmm. on the harmonium. And then in the second show, at the second show of the tour, she ended with the main set with Putting the Damage On and then Me and a Gun. Mm-hmm. So those songs were kind of paired. Interesting. And then the third show of the tour, she did Putting the Damage On as the first song in the first encore. Isn't that crazy? And then she continued to do that for the fourth show of the tour um, in Edinburgh. She did it as the first song in the first encore again. God knows what she did the next night in Aberdeen because there's still no set list. Crazy. We've been waiting for 22 <clears throat> years. Still nothing. Um, I asked Tori, do you have all your old set lists so we can fill in some of the holes? It's like, do you just keep them under your bed or do you have like a filing system? And she's like, oh, I, I, she didn't know. She had no idea. I think that means the answer is no, right? Yeah. I think the, the answer... She doesn't have a big bucket like you do? Uh, stop. My my bucket is important to me. Okay. My bucket where I keep all my Tory valuables. <laughs> so I'm continuing to scan through the set list here, and it does seem like 
putting the damage on did show up a lot more often than I remember it at mm-hmm. the beginning of the tour. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of songs, then it kind of went away and would pop up here and then, here and then, <laughs> here and there, now and then, hither and yon. Who can say? Yeah, she did play it pretty consistently, at least throughout the European leg. Yeah, for sure. And maybe they were thinking it was going to be a single. It had stick a status. Um, but here's a performance from London in March of 1996, March 8th, at the Royal Albert Hall. And here is Putting the Damage On, which was the last song of the night before Me and a Gun, before the encore. So really, it was like the seventh song before the end. <laughs> suppose that she'll loop things in like there will be some things committed to tape but and she plays to tape for some things live live like the Tallulah backing or Cornflake Girl in 94 and God in 94 knowing that she does that and she's apparently comfortable doing that why do you suppose they didn't play to brass well I think it was always songs that were heavy with percussion Mm -hmm. and that were more a beat mm-hmm. and that when she was playing solo that was kind of the only way to add variety and change the pace of the show mm. and so i don't think she would especially at this point in her career i don't think tori would have used a sampled or pre-recorded version of instruments as organic as a brass section or played along to like a pre-recorded orchestra i think she would have turned her nose up at the idea is like a mild way of putting it for sure fine playing along with a band arrangement a full band arrangement with like programming that she had no way to even get close to recreating on stage Mm -hmm. like no way okay but a song that could reasonably be played solo especially a ballad then yeah for sure well it just seems like if they're pushing it as a single or a possible single to come that and then the brass itself is so heavy in the song and also a possibility of why she's playing it so much in the european tour is because it was charting in poland and austria you know at the time so Mm -hmm. yeah maybe maybe that's part of why she played it or maybe that's part of why it charted who knows this was such an emotional song though i mean it is but especially on this tour when she was performing it i think she would have wanted the spaciousness to sing the song in the most expressive way possible and not be like married to a metronome or a pre-recorded tape. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, especially because she, as George Porter said, changes attitude or tempos in the middle of the song. Too, mm-hmm. So you're right. You want to play another one? Yes. Here's a performance from June 8th in Milwaukee with a really interesting intro and a sort of staccato playing style in the beginning. <laughs>
play LA? Yes. Wasn't that your first show? It, I went to all three of the Greek shows, so this, he played Damage at the third. Oh, okay. And it was creeping up the set list. It wasn't necessarily by that point so far down the set list, because it was like halfway through the show that you did mm, this Yeah, a little over half, and it did have a This Old Man intro. Interesting. Let's do the whole thing. Let's play the whole part. Okay. very strange pairing yeah right do you remember on tour when we would do the songs out of the bag yeah i kept getting this old man yes. as my signature the song. very first time we did it as a divination tool oh yeah i pulled yeah. this old man again yes. i hate my life <laughs> i hate it i mean the bag's never wrong gotta give it that <laughs> The psychic said you're going to live a long life and outlive all your friends. It's true. The bag agrees. I don't know if we included that in this episode, but if Two we did Two out of three it... old bags agree. Anyway, here's another performance of it. And I really like this performance. You want to hear it? Yes. This is Cedar Rapids, Iowa oh. at the Paramount, July 26, 1996. And she, she performs it as the second song in the first encore following Angie. Isn't that interesting? Dickinson. No, Yeah. 
Should we move into the plugged tour? Ow! 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 ow. Can I resample? <laughs> Can I re-record my part at some no. point? Oh. No, that sticks forever. Mm. Let's talk about the first time, the tour debut of Putting the Damage On in 1998. You want to talk about that one? Yes. Okay. Was it with the band the very first time she played it, or did it have a few solo goes, like May Ray? It was with the band from the beginning. Okay. Here it is on April 18th, 1998 in Fort Lauderdale. And this is the first of 20 times that she performed it on the 98 tour. She performed it 20 times. This is from the Blacksburg, Virginia show, October 15th, uh, and she has a really cool improv at the beginning that she didn't ever do before or since. going to play the performance from Madison on November 4th. Uh, I just think the recording is so beautiful and you can really kind of hear what the band is trying to do and how they fit into this new arrangement. It's really just gorgeous. (laughs) 
here's 1999 to Dallas and back. And isn't this interesting? You want to play the one with Phoebe? Yes. Okay. This is one version that I think is very beautiful and very powerful and is an exception to my rule. My rule of damages. It was the tour debut in Noblesville, Indiana on September 5th, 1999. And the only time she played at that mm. tour. And I think at the beginning, she even acknowledges that she doesn't play it very often anymore or hasn't played it for a long time. And interesting that she still had the band with her and she'd played it 20 times on the previous tour with the band. So it would have been easy to just trot out there and do the same arrangement they'd been doing. But she opted not to do that. So I'm wondering if it wasn't on the set list and she just felt it in that moment, especially given kind of like the stirring performance she gives with the improv or if she'd planned to do that all along. I wonder. Hmm. Let's go to 2001, shall we? Mm-hmm. Because it's... Strange. So strange. She performed it nine times. Nine times. On the 2001 tour. We have to get the Mr. Rooney clip to play. Ooh, nine when, Whenever times. we say that, right? Nine times. Anyway, she did it nine times in 2001 on the Strange Little Tour. Here it is. The tour debut October 21st in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Don't Let's move to Scarlet's Walk, shall we? Mm. 
Uh, For once, could Scarlett pick it up to a brisk jog? Where are you walking, girl? Where are you walking to so fast? <laughs> Melbourne, Florida, November 9th. The tour debut and the second show of the tour and someone in this very room was in that very crowd. It's me, David. Oh. Stop looking around. Yeah, I wasn't there. It's You're not right. Oliver. It's not our sound man. Our sound man hasn't even been to a show. He's too young. This is just a job to him. <laughs> Keep telling him this could be your life. This is your career. But no. He has other passions. He's in it for the money. Here it is in November. And that was also the night she did Operation Peter Pan. Scarlet's Walk and Lot of Pianos combined, she did it 33 times. Isn't that crazy? It is it's crazy. like in a summer festival show mm. to have that song. I don't know. Do you think we can ever get an Operation Peter Pan OPP mashup? No. He just once support nope. my dreams. Me. Um, in 2005, she did it on tour 17 times. I have another question or another thing I'd like to explore. Yes. Starting on the 05 tour, she most often paired damage with the power of orange knickers. Okay. I'm just wondering why you think that is okay. thematically, but can we also just point out that we know the, to- the way Tori's mind works and orange knickers playing with an orange rind? I'll bet she was like, check, check. Hmm. But what I mean, about thematically? Sorry, I think, you were thinking. Well, what about the initials? PTDO and PTUK. Oh, t <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Turns out they're not at all close. <laughs> <laughs> well, they both have O's in them and P's. T-Pook. T-Pook and yeah. P-T-D-O. Potato. Poo-poo potato. Oh, my God. I like potato spelling it P-T-D-O. From now on, whenever I spell the word potato, I'm going to spell it P-T-D-O. Potato. I don't know why she would pair them together thematically. The idea of damage and emotional terrorism, emotional vampires not giving you what you need. Maybe. I get that, but again, well, and I guess usually orange knickers came first, so there's a little more like resolve Mm -hmm. or resolution rather with Mm -hmm. damage coming after because this song is about finding grace Mm -hmm. and looking back fondly on a relationship. So it seems odd to then pair that with a song about emotional terrorism. Yeah, you're right. But I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. And she said that it's a pattern that continued to show up in her life. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was one way of saying like, remember that time that I thought I was overdoing that? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Like to remind herself to have grace. What do you do in those moments when you need to remember healthier habits? Do you slap on your orange panties? No, I don't have any orange knickers. Um, When I need to feel healthy again, I don't know what I do. (laughs) I watch a lot of Bob's Burgers. (laughs) Makes me laugh. Eat a lot of burgers. Eat a lot of Bob's burgers mm-hmm. <laughs> or any until I eat so many burgers that I feel bad again. That my knickers <laughs> don't fit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. Mommy, kiss me goodbye. Well, here we are in 2007. It's lovely. You heard that creepy doll. Damage. I wish. I wish we could have like a doll app that we could make say whatever we want. There probably is one. Oh, find it. So in 2007, she did it 16 times, always as Tori in the Tori set. This is a performance from July 3rd in London. I think it's great. On we take it high. In 2009, on the Sinful Attraction Tour, she performed it 10 times. This is from London on September 11, 2009 at the Hammersmith Apollo. I think this version is notable on this tour because John Evans was doing swells and giving a lot of feels, um, and it was really moody, so let's play a little of that. She performed it twice in the 2010 special tour, that summer tour, and then we get to the Nida Hunters tour in 2011, and she performed it four times solo. We're going to play the performance from December 2nd, 2011 in New York City at the Beacon Theater, and someone's just feeling it in the audience, can't believe she's about to do it. In 2012, she did it one time on October 5th in New York City at Le Poison Rouge. Is French your first language? Yes. I feel like almost every statement I make on this show that's even slightly negative, I end up walking back by the end, which is so annoying because I've said... Stand your ground, girl. Repeatedly, this song's boring live, and for the most part it is, but there are a couple rare standout performances that are an exception. 
And this is one of them. And I love, because we have video, I probably wouldn't think so if we didn't have the video to go along with it, if it was just an audio recording. But like a minute in, she gets super into it and she yanks her glasses off because they're just like in her way and she's feeling it and she can't take it. Great. It's great. Here it is. Stuck to my shoes. Does anyone know why you play with an orange rind? You see you packed my things and divided what was mine. You're off to the mountain. dramatic as you made it seem however the sentiment is i don't need these stupid glasses i know this song by heart yes we're good friends emotion yeah we're gonna work out now we're gonna go work out um, but it does seem too like she's like reading the lyrics or looking down at the piano and then when she takes the glasses off she turns towards the audience and is making like more of a connection mm -hmm. so i don't know i just think that's interesting to see now that she can't see the audience she's willing to make a connection with them (laughs) In 2014, she performed it seven times on the Unrepentant Haroldines tour. What was her sound cue for that? Oh, yeah. Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> really funny. In 2017, on the Bang the World tour, Tori Amos performed this song five times. Mm. Um, would you like to know what city she performed it in and then pick one amongst them to hear? Tell me. Okay. She performed it in Zurich, Essen, Ann Arbor, Michigan on one of the greatest nights of my life. Atlanta, Georgia, on one of the sleepiest nights of my life. Drunk. I was drunk. And then, of course, in Eugene, um, one of my favorite shows of all time. So pick one. I choose Eugene. What do you think of that? Spooky. Well, that is it for this episode. Oh my gosh. We've got some, we've only got one episode left. Well, cue the remix. Roll that beautiful bean footage. I would cue you were going to say beautiful bean footage. You're listening to the remix demo of Putting the Damage On by Gavo, our beautiful friend Gavo. Well, 
I always love doing this part to a beat. Are you doing Hoochie Woman? Hoochie Woman. Oh, you take a hoochie. <laughs> if you like what we do, please subscribe to us on all our social media, Songs of Tori Amos on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email us at songsoftoriamus at gmail.com. You can also leave a message on our hotline regarding any subject as long as it relates to Tori Amos. 323-296-9955. We'll play it on the show possibly if it's good. What else, David? What else do we have to say? One more song. I can't even believe it. This has been the magnum opus of my life, just so you know. This is my greatest achievement. It truly is. I think completing this Boys for Pele season, which is kind of honestly probably why I took it a little slower because I didn't want to get it wrong. I wanted to make sure I was proud of every single episode that we did. I hope you are. I am, and I, we left no stone unturned. And, like We've been living under the stones for a very long time, and I'm happy to be done. And I'll also, it's also bittersweet. And I'm trying not to move. It's just Twinkle's ghost passing through. But you've got to dive under those stones because that's where the feelings are. Something, something, choir girl, Pandora's Aquarium. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? Merry Christmas. Twinkle. Twinkle's neck. We're going to twank it. We're going to twank it. That's disgusting. Because if she can, we can. Well, you know. Everybody never... else is twinking. Look so at those young twink, twinks in Hollywood and call them twinkles. Little twinkles. No? Like Paul Roy. Like Shaggy. Like Shaggy's a little twinkle. Little Twinkie. Little Twinkle. Little Twinkle Twinkie. I've always thought that Twinkle was about um, a, a gay hustler. Shut up. <laughs> do you want to hear something controversial? It has nothing to do with Tori Amos, and I feel like I have to say it. Controversial. Controversial. El scandalo. El scandalo. We were at the bar last night, and Shaggy was naming his top three Tori Amos songs, and he did not name Wings. Wings. Anywhere on that list. Anywhere on the top three list? Yeah. It wasn't one, two, or three? No. Oh my god. Can you believe it? What were they? I can't remember. Flying Dutchman. No. Oh, no. I can't remember. Oh no, it was post-2005. Oh, okay. Well, that- we were doing post-2005. Okay. Um, I remember- tell me yours. I remember- Oh, mine? Were Reindeer King, Marys of the Sea. So including Beekeeper when you say post-2005. Yeah. Beekeeper and beyond. Curtain call. But I, I mean, on any given day, it could be different. Because today, I want to say soccer, walk to Dublin, and zero point. That's what I love about these ranking conversations. Is because for the most part, they mean nothing. Because everyone right. always qualifies it. But ask me again in 30 seconds, right. then I'll have a completely different answer. Exactly. If you'd ask me on Saturday, it would have been teenage hustling, teenage hustling, and teenage hustling. That's all I listened to all day. But I was doing it at a super sped up tempo in my shower. You better know. You better know. You better know. Oh, oh. I'm at your door. I was really insane. It was insane. I was insane. I was a fright. Imagine I'm soaked up naked man singing just like in the shower at double speed. We're talking about the Tory community, so that is not the yeah. first time that has happened. You're probably right. Isn't that how everyone gets ready on Friday night? Uh-huh. 100%. Winking in the mirror. You better now. You, you better, better now. I'm a chow. I'm a chow. Yow. I miss tour, and I miss talking Tory whenever we're not. Which is never. <laughs> Which is never. You're right. Um, but I also miss baseball. That also never goes away. It's come, It's gone right now, David. It's not. I'm surrounded by tiny, freakish bobbleheads of Dodger players. I feel like I'm Aren't at a handsome? Dodger game right now, and I'm sitting really far away. Aren't they? <laughs> Aren't they handsome? I have all my bobbleheads on my shelf. They're again scary. They're handsome. They're little handsome guys. 
They definitely come alive at night and try to kill you. No, they try to make love they to head me. They knock you to no, death. They make love to me. They make love to all my bobbleheads. We time, work out together. We work out together. It's fine. We're friends. We're all friends. Gotta go. David, it's been a pleasure. That Tommy Lasorda one is giving me the eye. Get your onesie and go home. I'm wearing it. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> See you next time for Twinkle. Bye. Bye. Like you Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.